0: I think I've told you about this before. Okay. But uh, Slate has this series. It's called Future Tense. And it's like a series of sci-fi short stories. Yeah. So they're good. And I like reading them. Uh Um, And at the end of the year, they do like a roundup of them, just like all the links. And I went through the other day and read them all. And I realized how fucking lib they are.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Slate, lib, really?
0: Yeah. I mean... They have a very good human interest section, which is why I still read them. That's where I get all my advice columns from. They're good (laughs) at that. Okay. But these were, like, half of them were just like, here's why this socialist program wouldn't work.
1: (laughs) Oh. Like, there was
0: one on, like, UBI, but it's like, oh, no one can afford to live on basic. Like, that's what they would call their their UBI. Mm, Yeah. And they had one on, what else was it? Oh, there was this one where, like, everything is verified by blockchain which i don't even know how blockchain works and nor do i want to know listeners do not try to explain it to me (laughs) i will delete that
1: it's just bitcoin which i
0: also don't understand and it's fine i don't need to (laughs) yeah
1: yeah no no one does
0: (laughs) but the idea was that like you couldn't lie because everything was verified online or something i don't know it was stupid what else
1: what so they're just like it's just a fact check society
0: basically yeah yeah
1: oh That sounds obnoxious. That
0: sounds terrible. Oh, there was a reparations one. That one was really bad. <laughs> They're like, we tried it, and then they all just moved away to nicer neighborhoods, and then we stopped. Like, okay. That's the premise of the story? That, that was the premise, is that they tried reparations, and everyone <laughs> left, because their landlords raised rent, and so they are just like, well, buy.
1: <laughs> well, that's that's just Ayn Rand. That's just a <laughs> capital strike, right? It's just, they leave. <laughs>
0: yeah it's all just like here's why we can't have nice things basically and mm-hmm. they always try to sprinkle in climate change in there too and it's just like it's just a bummer
1: <laughs> it's kind of interesting though because we'll see basically that sort of pattern happen in the reading we're going to do today like you try to do these things and then international capital or just the rich people right hmm they screw you over
0: oh for sure that is a big theme.
1: It's also a, a a chronicle of why can't we have nice things, except <laughs> just, you know, it's, it's not saying like, it's impossible, we shouldn't try or something, but it's just like, or these little changes won't do it.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: But that's obviously not what they're trying to say. They're,
0: <laughs> they're trying to say it's impractical. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. That kind of stuff. It's like, do you think you're the first person to come up with those reasons? Like,
1: <laughs> yeah. I don't
0: know. Whatever. All right, let's get into what we're talking about today. What are we talking about?
1: We are going to be discussing the book, Open Veins of Latin America, Five Hell Centuries yeah. of the Pillage of a Continent. Okay. As the subtitle implies, it's going to be a <laughs> an uplifting read.
0: Yeah, kind of a downer. Uh, it's it's a good book, though, man. Like, geez, we're going to get to our review of it. But yeah, spoiler, I liked it. <laughs>
1: Uh yeah, I did too. Once I got rolling, like Yeah. I, I kind of bogged down at some point and was just I I would get too distracted researching stuff about mm-hmm. it instead of just reading it, which is really how you should kind of approach this if you are looking to read it yourself. It's not like a you know, dry, just the facts, ma'am, sort of thing, like, it's, uh, it's very emotional. For sure. should be kind of taken in, like, almost like swiftly should be taken in as a coherent thing.
0: Yeah, one thing that I noticed, so they have a forward here by Isabella Allende, who's like, a very major voice in Latinx fiction. She basically mm-hmm. invented magical realism. Ah, okay. Um. She's a big deal. And um, she really sets up the tone of the book, which is that it's kind of poetic in a way you know mm-hmm. like it's a it's a narrative and it has flow and like you said it's very emotional it's very evocative um, yeah but it's also very straightforward which i loved mm-hmm.
1: yeah no it's cool written in 1973 by eduardo galliano and it's interesting a little side note here uh he's in in 2014 he was interviewed and basically said he didn't like his book anymore really yeah, he said he wasn't qualified to tackle the subject. He said it was badly written. Oh. And said, uh, yeah, I didn't have the necessary training or preparation. I wouldn't be capable of reading this book again. I'd keel over. For me, oh. this prose of the traditional left is extremely leaden, and my physique can't tolerate it.
0: Wow.
1: So, self If self-burn. he thinks
0: <laughs> this is leaden, like, I don't know. I I don't know what else he would do. I mean, I think parts of it
1: there are parts that get into statistics and yeah super dense but they just cite a bunch of things kind Mm -hmm. of repeatedly and so maybe that
0: yeah and i I, you know we're gonna get into this but the last section is a little tough Um, i guess not the very last but the one that gets into all the economics you're like whoo like that one gets a little meaty
1: yeah yeah that's true but i just thought that was interesting that he seemingly was just like no thanks
0: (laughs) don't be so hard on yourself eduardo (laughs) I don't know For that real. thing about not qualified. I think is interesting because I think that's why it was very good because it yes. was from this like novelist's point of view.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it just brings a different approach to it. Mm-hmm. I think that's uh that's a strength of one of my favorite biographies that a multi volume biography by Robert Caro of Lyndon B Johnson. Mm. You know, he had done a biography previously to that about Robert Moses, this architect in New York, very famous, mm-hmm. uh, very influential on the city's like development. And his approach is that of a journalist. That's how he was trained. He was yeah. a journalist. And so he kind of does a lot of investigative digging and stuff. You'd think more so than like a historian who might approach it more like sweeping changes or an mm-hmm. economist or something in this case, right? An economist would be more steeped in like neoliberal stuff. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Uh, yeah yeah, i think being not qualified like you know does add to it i think
0: i think so too all right let's let's get into this
1: let's jump in all right uh so we already covered the (laughs) foreword and we get to the introduction after that
0: yeah i mean this basically just sets up his thesis as an introduction should do (laughs) so i've heard (laughs) Yes, But uh, there's some really choice quotes in here that, like, I remember when I sat down to read this for the first time, I was just like, just already circling shit like, yeah, I like it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. What you got?
0: The first one that I've got is, uh, it's right on fucking page one, is the more freedom is extended to business, the more prisons have to be built for those who suffer from that business.
1: (laughs) True. That is true. (laughs) Whether they are actual confined prisons or open air uh, slums that kind of serve as open air prisons.
0: For sure. Uh, Let's see. Another gem. The strength of the imperialist system as a whole rests on the necessary inequality of its parts, and the inequality assumes ever more dramatic dimensions. I mean, yeah, we've seen that happen.
1: (laughs) And that's the book, too. That's what he's going to kind of lay out in case after case, Mm -hmm. is that this is happening. This is is why the international system of capitalism is so strong, Mm -hmm. is because of the original pillage and the pillages that follow it. Everything builds on each other, right? Yeah, f- yeah. From first contact, it just keeps building and rolling like a snowball.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's a vicious circle kind of thing.
1: Mm-hmm, yeah. There was also this interesting thing he talks about in terms of concessions that he mentions and says, like, you know, Latin America, they're always giving these concessions to all these businesses to come here and like, mm-hmm. oh, you don't have to pay taxes, you don't have to do this. Oh, yeah. And uh, he gives this quote from Woodrow Wilson saying, you hear of concessions to foreign capitalists in Latin America. You do not hear of concessions to foreign capitalists in the U.S. States that are (laughs) obliged to grant concessions are in this condition that foreign interests are apt to dominate their domestic affairs.
0: Yeah, it's just a complete double standard basically
1: yeah and it puts like he says it puts you in a bad position like it's definitely true on the world stage that this you know that's why you have like tax haven places and stuff Mm -hmm. they're never like super rich on their own or something it's just that they're trying to desperately trying to get anything they can and i it kind of brought to mind for me like the what we see nowadays even within the united states uh you you start to see it with cities and stuff begging corporations to put their headquarters somewhere and saying oh you know please build your stadium here and you'll never have to pay taxes for like 30 years and by that point they're moving dude like yeah yeah.
0: it's it's disgusting yeah it's just the wholesale bargaining your people's lives away
1: (laughs) Mm -hmm. whether out of desperation or just you know personal greed or whatever
0: yeah yeah, I mean, it's because it's of the jobs, though, right?
1: Right, yeah, the job. We <laughs> we need this. This will help us grow. <laughs> oh, God. It sets up really, like, like you said, the strength of the imperialist system resting on the inequality. I think that, therefore, kind of the opposite is true. And he, he says this, that, you know, the opposite is true that Latin America, its weakness or its poverty is because imperialist countries have robbed them, right? It's not they just are that way or something like that it's you know they're poor because they've been systematically robbed first just as a physical like by gunpoint robbery yeah and then you know through labor power through not being paid for what they're doing
0: yeah for sure i i think it gets into this in detail but like there's this misconception of like oh well that's just like how that region is and like Mm -hmm. it's you know maybe it's their environment maybe whatever like Then there's lots of racist explanations, too. Yeah. But the reality is that, like, yeah, it it, it didn't... The reason that they are doing badly now is because they had so many resources to begin with and people came and fucking stole them.
1: Yes. Yeah, that's a big theme, too, is that the richness itself is kind of the cause of it Mm -hmm. because people said, hey, look at what they got. (laughs) (laughs) Yoink. Yeah, very true.
0: Yeah. He mentions, like... This comes up later, too, but the idea of convincing the poor that poverty is the result of the children they don't avoid having. Mm -hmm. So, like, there's these mass missions to sterilize people. And this is a thing that happens in history a lot.
1: Yeah, and it continues to happen.
0: Absolutely continues to happen. Uh, But apparently the U.S. would send people to sterilize people in Amazonia, which is the least populated habitable zone on the planet.
1: So it's like, you know, making sure that we don't end up with too many people in Wyoming.
0: (laughs) I mean, basically, like it like all of Latin America has lower population density than Europe.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's going on about the population densities of those different countries. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. And it's just like hmm, I wonder why. It's like, well, one, it's racism. They don't see these people as like deserving Mm -hmm. of like life and propagation. And two, it's so they can steal their shit. (laughs) Like it's absolutely so they can like just clear the land and have it for themselves.
1: And yeah, exactly. That's the important thing is it's for them. Uh, You don't see this sort of thing. You never see this sort of thing turned on, you know, you don't have sterilization drives aimed at the wealthy.
0: Nope. In fact, it's the opposite. You'll have like Oh, we should have sperm, like, donors be from, like, the smart people or whatever. You know, mm, like, weird yeah. eugenics shit.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, this is a weird connection, but it kind of reminded me of our previous episode. You're our episode number person. Our previous episode on Snowpiercer.
0: 30. Oh, I don't know the number of that one. <laughs> I failed my one superpower.
1: <laughs> Where there's this element of Mm eco-fascism of like there's not enough to go around so we've got to control you people we've got to make sure that you don't reproduce whereas in the front of the train they're all fine and it's it's okay it's everything's ever they they can eat sushi it's you know it's okay Mm -hmm. but here you know it's and in latin america you're seeing you know they've got to go sterilize people because the problem's so bad and you've got teeming hordes of poors right Mm -hmm. versus you know saying actually we'll let you like exist
0: <laughs> yeah like what if we helped the poor uh wow what a concept
1: can't do that no then there's not enough for us <laughs> <laughs> another thing he brings up in the introduction is kind of in related to this population control thing is the absurdity of saying we're going to use capitalism <laughs> to fix <laughs> the problems that capitalism made
0: yeah yeah it's Ridiculous.
1: <laughs> he has a quote saying, In lands that are empty, the system proposes to avoid births. In countries where capital is plentiful but wasted, it suggests that capital is lacking. It describes as aid, the deforming orthopedics of loans and the draining of wealth that results from foreign investment. It calls upon big landowners to carry out agrarian reforms and upon the oligarchy to practice social justice. Yeah. That's so, just liberalism right there. <laughs>
0: That is exactly what that is. The idea of like everything has to be like development focused instead Mm -hmm. of just like taking care of people focused.
1: Yeah. And maybe we should put forth more effort in putting it. We should put out like our own lists or do our own episodes where it's like, (laughs) here's why stupid liberal idea A won't work. I'd love that. (laughs) (laughs) You know, do our own reverse slate.
0: Hell yeah. (laughs) All right. Let's, Let's get going on. On part one, this part title one. says it all here. Mankind's poverty is a consequence of the wealth of the land. I mean, yeah. Yep.
1: Well, That's we'll, what we happened. continue to see that is that, like we said, they've got a bunch of plentiful natural resources all over the place. hmm And people come to take that for themselves.
0: Yeah. I mentioned this last episode, but when I read this book, it was like a fairly emotional experience for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so listeners, uh, Grady and I are both half Mexican. And we grew up hearing our mom, uh, like, one of the few times I'd ever heard her swear was, like, talking about the Spaniards. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And um, it was just this, it's an interesting narrative to have as, like, your background because it's, like, well, literally the definition of Mexican is, like, you are part Spanish and you are Mm -hmm. also part native. And, like, your ancestors killed each other, basically.
1: Yes. Yeah. It's a... (laughs) It's strange, and he'll get into this in this section talking about like Mexico City being, you know, conquered and everything. And yeah, I remember that as well. Like when we were in Mexico, mom talking about kind of how the Spaniards had destroyed the place and rebuilt it, kind of vengefully, just like rebuilt over specifically mm-hmm. over temples and stuff, and kind of eradicating absolutely what had been there. It's still a ca- very largely Catholic nation. Mm-hmm. Still speaks Spanish mostly. It's like. Of the conquerors kind of but you still know that that like history was there
0: yeah it's it's this very weird relationship yeah but anyway I mean just reading this this whole thing it just kind of inflamed me I guess just yeah. I feel like we should be way more mad about this genocide and talk about it every fucking day <laughs> like just the sheer just fucking brutality is insane
1: yeah it really is Um, and it's hard to it's it's kind of kind of a whiplash to when you know while i'm reading this and then just going about in everyday life and society and just you know what are people focused on and stuff mm-hmm. <laughs> and she's like this is just in the background like yeah this happened it <laughs> continues to happen and we're just oh okay
0: yeah yeah um uh, <laughs> i would do want to point out some numbers okay so the ones that particularly stuck out to me were just a huge fucking population just decimation so pre-Columbian Mexico's population was estimated to be between 30 to 37.5 million people, and it took four centuries for them for Mexico to regain its pre-conquest population. Man. Like, that is What the fuck?
1: That's decimation. It's more than that. I mean, decimation would be you take out one-tenth.:
0: Yeah. Natives were 70 million strong, 150 years later after conquest, 3.5 million.
1: That is a lot of people. Killed. And, you know, not directly all the time. Not in war necessarily. Disease did a lot of the work. Disease, yeah. But that's crazy.
0: Yeah. It's it's just horrible. And, you know, they he goes into several examples of horrible treatments. You know, people dying in mines. Uh, people committing mass suicide to basically get out of it. Mm-hmm. And they would, like, read an oath without a translator to the Native people
1: the requerimento okay the basic premise was you know convert here or get enslaved we will enslave you We will enslave everyone that you know
0: can you imagine just
1: <laughs> i'd like to read it here i'd like to insert into the record a little quote from an old old book that this makes me think of given the topic of the requerimiento is converting to mm-hmm. catholicism this reminded me of an of this quote uh then Peter said to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? <laughs> Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 70 times, seven times. <laughs> okay. Or, you know, just, just give them one chance, half a chance, and yeah. just enslave them in their
0: family. Negative chance, because <laughs> they don't speak the language. Yeah. <laughs> this The whole conversion thing, like, what the heck? You're just going to somebody else's culture. They've lived their entire life one way and be mm-hmm. like, no, you got to listen to me.
1: Yeah, and that's that's I enough to understand. damn them in your eyes if they don't. If they don't, just drop everything and be like, you know what? Yeah, actually, you're right. <laughs> you got me. Good presentation. Like, I, d-
0: I literally don't know the words that are coming out of your mouth, but I agree.
1: <laughs> that's yeah. That's the astounding. Also it's bad. bad enough if it's just like you know, expecting in some door to door missionaries or something come by, expecting that to work. First, mm-hmm. you know, very unlikely, but whatever. But yeah, if you don't even speak the same language, <laughs> what you know. But that, get, and it wasn't about. It really wasn't about converting. Just Mm-mm. like we see with the encomienda system, it's not about converting them or educating them in Catholicism or saving their souls. It's really about taking from them and yeah. having a justification for that.
0: Yeah. So he goes into a lot of examples of the justification. I, I think that's a lot of it too. To be like, hey, we gave them a chance. or so We're trying to save yeah. their souls. Like, mm-hmm. there's a lot of this just kind of dancing around defining their humanity and it's super gross
1: yeah i know it's um talking about the minds as a cure for the indians natural wickedness Ugh. wickedness is what the the mexican viceroy said you had a bunch of philosophers being assholes saying like oh these you know these guys aren't really human or whatever
0: Mm-hmm. this one guy uh de i don't know how to say his name at all Mm -hmm. but he like wrote all kinds of shit about them like explaining like oh here's why they're not humans blah 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 he never even went to the americas guys he just made it up
1: (laughs) (laughs) he did he was just like reading about it i guess
0: i guess yeah super weird there's like some gross anti-semitism in there too being like oh they're they're similar to jewish people in this and this way so
1: in that they're bad yeah
0: yeah (laughs) yeah basically ugh just just horrible
1: yeah no and and the justifications, you know, these people who are exploited, they're bad. They're, you know, responsible for it. This is good for them, actually. They're not really even human. I mean. Still happens. Yeah, we continue to see this. You know, it's still still a thing. Whether in terms of imperialism, looking at other countries, this happening in other countries. Mm-hmm. Or our own poor here in the imperial heartland. Yeah. These sorts of justifications are still basically used. Another thing, you know, this first chapter is covering, you know, Spain's initial conquest, basically, mm-hmm. and then subsequently Europe's initial conquest. It's and it describes just how, you know, we're, we're talking about how many people were wiped out and everything. How cruel this conquest was, how violent it mm-hmm. was, and how they would go in and just like straight up murder the leaders of of these empires mm-hmm. and take all their shit. It's it's what Marx referred to as the primitive accumulation of capital. You know, where they're first just violently seizing everything.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's not they didn't get this because they were more qualified in in some weird way. Like it, it's just because they, they were assholes. It. They they yeah. fucking stole it.
1: They stole it at at gunpoint. They robbed it. Yeah, you're right. They didn't just produce that much. They didn't work that much harder than everyone else. That's why they're rich. No, it's because somebody down the line took this, pillaged it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Uh, let's talk about Spain.
0: Oh, Spain. So, from what I understood in this, it sounded like Spain did this. It's because they owed money to other people, basically. So, it wasn't all Spain.
1: Right, yeah. I get to hate
0: every European now.
1: Oh, yeah, for sure. Because Spain, (laughs) it talks about it being like the mouth because it like initially tastes everything, but then just Mm -hmm. like sends it straight on to the rest of it, to their creditors. He says um, that Spain... Most of the gold it was loading onto its ships and everything was already owed to somebody else. Jesus. Uh, or the silver, especially, they were just spending it immediately. And it, none of it goes in Spain to, you know, create industry or anything. No. It's not funding like, you know, capitalist, uh, enterprises. It's, it's, it's not, not
0: giving people jobs.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's not doing anything <laughs> like that. It was just looted and given to bankers.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Who, and you know, some of the, you know, their country started to develop industrial bases based off of that. But, uh. It kind of discusses how this, you know, leads to Spain slowly collapsing. And yeah, you're right. Latin America being an overall European business instead of just the Spanish one. So sure. Yeah. Europe is responsible (laughs) overall.
0: Great. I love having more people to blame. (laughs) Oh, and the gold that they loaded up, like, definitely melted all the fucking beautiful art that they found. So just that's great. Cool. Yes.
1: Yeah. No one knows what sort of wonderful creations were destroyed.
0: Yep. All gone for bankers.
1: And this medal, yeah, this medal that they take from the colonies there, he says the medals taken from the new colonial dominions not only stimulated Europe's economic development, one may say that they made it possible.
0: Absolutely. They wouldn't be shit without that.
1: Yeah. it's. And it's,
0: I think we kind of learn this like when we're taught like, you know, basic world history in school, it is it is set up grossly as this good thing like oh discovery and it's like no (laughs) this is not discovery this is just stealing
1: it's yeah and the the boilerplate sort of way to put it is like uh opening up trade Mm -hmm. now we can trade with this with these new continents and new (laughs) riches to be made and it's just you picture like they're just you know going down to the market and yeah hey you know I'll give you, I don't know, trading horses for...
0: Yeah, furs or whatever. Yeah, Yeah. and
1: it's actually not that at all. It's trading your life for all this stuff.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's horrifying. I mean, it's just at the end of the day, like capitalism requires there to be losers. And this is a perfect example.
1: Yeah, and this is the initial setup for that too. He talks Mm -hmm. about the double tragedy where Western accumulation of capital by stealing it from Latin America by Mm -hmm. robbing it from them at their bloody expense made it harder for them to accumulate capital in the future latin america right yeah it puts them behind and so when they're trying to build up their base later as we'll see they are already like that now they're competing with way more advanced technologically societies because they've been held back
0: yeah so their resources have been completely fucked over we'll see that too like they they don't just like take it and then it comes back. Like they ruin it. Basically they suck Mm -hmm. the land dry. Yeah. And then like they weren't allowed to develop like an industrial kind of equipment and stuff like that. So yeah, they're just like set up to fail completely.
1: Yes. And the people in those colonies who were put in control, basically the, at first directly like the viceroys and everyone like that and people who served them. And then later on, like the leadership of those countries, That was really, you know, they're all, yeah, they're all puppets. (laughs) And that's, that's a crazy thing is that none of them are spending any of the money domestically to like build up a home market or anything. It's only like, he talks about kind of this just lavish spending
0: yeah. On just
1: yeah. ridiculous building churches beside churches sort of thing.
0: <laughs> Covered in gold and yeah just statues and fountains and all kinds of shit, like gambling halls. Like yeah. he makes it sound like this really cool depraved place. <laughs> yeah.
1: And it's just, you know, and who could participate in that was just like the wealthy, you mm-hmm. know, it'd just be a spectacle to everyone else who just has time to work and sleep yeah but yeah, I think that's a big part of later on the that when we talk about that Latin America is held back is because whatever is paid to the people who are keeping things running in the country domestically doesn't go to helping the country at all. it's just it's just wasted,
0: yeah, absolutely. He gives an example of this whole cycle, the ridiculous spending and stuff uh, mm-hmm. with the example of potosi, which is in present day Bolivia, yeah. And they had this huge silver mine, and later they found tin as well. Um, And he goes into great detail about how deadly the mines were, like silver poisoning. Like, you had, like, seven out of ten people would fucking die from silver poisoning. You know, you'd go from freezing temperatures, you know, outside to, you know, intense heat heat on the inside of the mine. You know, lots of injuries, mercury poisoning, all kinds of shit. Like not only that, like the smoke from the ovens
1: would mm-hmm. ruin
0: surrounding lands, like for crops and stuff too. Man. So,
1: just, just devastation.
0: Devastation. Yes. Yeah.
1: Of of the people working there, of the land that they're cutting this out of.
0: Mm-hmm. So let's say let's say I'm a capitalist, and I'm like, but but great and Christine, uh, these are jobs. They gave the Indians jobs.
1: True, they did, and you know. That means that they bettered their life in some way, right? Yeah, clearly. They they gave them an opportunity and all this. You know, the three
0: that didn't die out of the (laughs) 10.
1: Right. The other (laughs) ones were just killed. (laughs) Um, Yeah. It's not, um, okay, what were native populations doing before the Europeans came over and magnanimously gave them jobs?
0: They were working the lands themselves and doing a much better job at sustainability and, like, A lot of these cultures have like a spiritual connection to the land as well. Mm -hmm. And they were taking care of it. Like they knew what they were fucking doing.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And it's not to say, you know, all of these societies had worked everything out. I mean, they were still unequal in in some, if you have more like, you know, the Aztecs or something, you still had like an empire. Yeah, you have war and
0: empires and stuff like that for sure. But they at least knew how to utilize their resources without like completely destroying the land. And that's a big deal. Like we are trying to figure out how to do that now.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's because they're they're living there, right? This yeah. whole thing he, f- he sets us up as like this is particularly bad and extractive and and murderous, mm-hmm. devastating, right? Because it's built not for not for them. It's built to no. take stuff away. No, they didn't come else. here to be
0: like, "Oh, you poor things, let me show you how technology works." Like, no, they came here and say, "Let me give me a straw, let me suck this dry."
1: Yeah, yeah. This is for somebody else to enjoy. Yeah, yeah. There you wouldn't do that if you were living there yourself because you I mean, you have to deal with that. Mm-hmm. But if you're far away somewhere else, who cares?
0: Yeah. And if you were like living there like as the viceroy or something, then yeah, you're going to spend it on stupid shit.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so the ex- in the example of Potosi, we see the boom bust cycle because when everything's getting ripped out of the land like that and the people are getting sent in to, you know, for their blood to fuel the machine mm-hmm. for the people it's benefiting there for the, for the rich elite that are kind of the lieutenants of all this life's great. Like you're saying, yeah. just profligate spending all over the place. <laughs> it's a boom town.
0: Yeah. It's a real Marie Antoinette situation. I feel like that's what I pictured at least.
1: Yeah. And he, gives us several examples of this, right? And it just kind of jumps around. And it's just like, okay, here's what happened here. Here's what happened in this other little small town no one's ever heard of mm-hmm. because it used to be, you know, this big resource. And then when it dries up, when there's no more to extract, they're just abandoned.
0: Yeah. And he, and he writes about how he's visiting these places, I'm assuming mm-hmm. before he's writing the book. And it's just like ghost towns and like just slums next to these opulent churches that have been stripped of all their metal. Like it's... Just horrible.
1: Yeah. It's just a husk.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think we've talked about this before too. I think it was on our, our drunk episode with Noam Chomsky, and we, I guess we got way off topic. <laughs> <laughs> but we were talking about how, like, the idea of these civilizations as, like, advanced or not advanced and just, like, how skewed that kind of perspective is. Yeah. And, you know, he gives examples of, like, all the things these civilizations had already done. Mm-hmm. You know, like, they found evidence of, the incas doing surgery like because they would find skulls with gold and silver plates like in them yeah and like you know obviously people know like mayans did like astronomy and they figured out the number zero which is a big deal and Mm -hmm. like aztecs were great at irrigation they built a fucking entire city on a lake like yeah (laughs) that's dedication to
1: your symbols right there like (laughs)
0: Well, you know, the eagle landed on the cactus and they had to build it there, okay? But it was,
1: yeah, but it was in a lake. I would have just <laughs> pretended that I didn't see that eagle and would go, you know, wait till I found this another eagle one. eagle over here? <laughs> yeah. I would just be like, oh, is he in the, oh, he's on the lake. Never mind. Just Mm-mm. turn the other way. Don't worry Let's about it. Let's keep looking. <laughs>
0: But yeah, so like you know, there's this this misconception again, like of, of of this being a good thing, of this being like, oh well, they they got all this technology. It's like, first off, at what fucking cost? Mm-hmm. Secondly, they had technology; it was just different. Like, what the fuck? Also, they're still human beings who should not be slaughtered, like Jesus.
1: Yeah these these were advanced civilizations that they were encountering. You know, there's I think it's Cortez and Pizarro who encountered the Aztec and the Incan empires, respectively. Like marvel at the cities that they're coming in to you know destroy, and yeah,
0: for sure, for sure,
1: so yeah, and and plus, there is a the question of if they're not advanced, does that justify no doing this stuff like Absolutely wh- not. what are people <laughs> who are saying this trying to achieve by saying, <laughs> you know, yeah, well, they're bringing technology and everything, like okay, don't people deserve to just like be alive?
0: yeah, yeah, could you bring the technology without all the killing? That'd be great,
1: yeah, uh, and then we get to some cool parts, sort mm-hmm. of. They, like, start out cool, and then everything ends in tragedy, of course. <laughs>
0: These all go downhill so badly.
1: But we get some rebellions. hmm And uh, he talks about a guy named Tupac Amaru.
0: Yeah, tell me about Tupac.
1: He was... This is, like, a later one, because there's a guy named Tupac Amaru who was, like, an Incan emperor.
0: Mm, okay, okay.
1: I mean, this is, like, his nephew, I want to say, or some okay. descendant of his. Uh, and it's an uprising. He's, like, actually kind of well-educated uh, and seen as kind of a local leader, Mm -hmm. even by like, even by the Spanish who kind of intend for him to be like, you know, sort of a, a go between. Yeah. A go between. But he, he just gets pissed. He like learns more about what's happening, sees the suffering of his people and decides he's going to do something about it. Fuck. Yeah. Yeah. He, uh, declares this rebellion and gets a following orders, the liberation of slaves, nice Uh, abolishes these taxes that were on them and uh, abolishes forced labor also good yeah but in the rebellion he ends up getting betrayed that sucks yeah and they kill him quite brutally and then some yeah because they torture him beforehand i think they kill people his relatives and stuff in front of him yeah
0: like his wife and kids and shit
1: yeah he gets uh he gets, drawn well, he they attempted to draw and quarter him, which is, Ugh. or mm, people, people debate as to which particular thing is drawing and quartering, if that's the <laughs> thing where they draw your intestines out or whatever, or if that's where they the quarter you with the horses thing. Yeah. yeah. So that's what they did to him was the horse the thing. Ugh. Or they tried to, or he wouldn't break or something like that. Oh my and God. And so they ended up like slicing him up. Jesus. Uh, yeah. And they sent like his body parts to different places. What the fuck, man? Within Peru.
0: Gross, and then they like kill all of his descendants to like a ridiculous amount.
1: I think they thought about doing that. And I
0: have uh, my notes. They they murdered his descendants to the fourth generation.
1: (laughs) Well, you never know, man. (laughs) Kids could rise up.
0: That great great grandkid could be the next revolutionary. Uh,
1: The Spaniards executed the remainder of his family except for his twelve year old son Fernando, who had been condemned to die with him, but was instead imprisoned in Spain for the rest of his life.
0: Oh, how generous.
1: Yeah. His houses were demolished, their sites strewn with salt, his goods confiscated, his relatives declared infamous, and all (laughs) documents relating to his descent were burnt.
0: Jesus. Okay. Declared infamous is like a good album title, by the way.
1: (laughs) That is, yeah. (laughs) Maybe one day we too will be declared infamous.
0: (laughs) Probably. So, yeah, he goes into some more, I guess very brief retellings of revolutions and includes some cool quotes from some people. Mm -hmm. Um, He mentions Miguel Hidalgo. He mentions Jose Maria Morelos, both from Mexico. Mm -hmm. And the latter says, you must regard as enemies, all the rich, the nobles and high ranking officials.
1: Which you do. Yeah. You do. Got it. (laughs) Do that. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. No, these guys are figures in the Mexican, uh, Mexican war of independence. Father Hidalgo gives the famous grito, the cry. Mm hmm. You know, to rise up in rebellion, uh, he kind of leads the initial phase of that before being killed. Yeah, Jose Maria Morelos is someone who takes up, the, I think, also a priest who takes up the banner Lots after that. Priest into that, yeah, and then also gets killed. Mm-hmm. But they were kind of cool. Uh, they were kind of proto-communist sort of ideas of, you know, it's not really, it's not like Marxist communists, for sure, because that wasn't around yet. But they were championing, like, land reform, yeah. you know, abolition of slavery, a social revolution.
0: Yeah, very much the whole, like, land and bread and peace kind of thing. You yeah, know?
1: exactly. Uh, he also mentions a guy from more modern times, Juan Velasco Alvarado, mm-hmm. who was a general in Peru, who took power in a coup in 1968. Oh, The the president before him, Bela Unde, was, like, very business friendly, kind of right wing guy. And this guy, was, it was kind of, it's weird because it's a coup by a general, but it was like radical. It yeah. It's like yeah. left wing. Um, started doing nationalization, education reform, land reform, stuff like that. And he kind of gives this as an example of someone who is evoking the memory of Tupac Amaru because he's got mm. a quote here uh, Campesino, your poverty shall no longer feed the master nice yeah so he was kind of like referring back to i mean the generations Mm -hmm. of plunder that had been happening
0: yeah yeah for sure
1: one thing i did want to add though yeah is that i think it's really important for him to bring up even you know it is kind of brief and we move on from it but bring up these rebellions to kind of show that people weren't just doing nothing weren't just sitting there like damn i'm getting impressed today you know
0: yeah for sure yeah because i It's important to know that like people weren't just okay with it.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And there's a, you know, in traditional history classes and stuff, there's usually just not enough time to kind Mm -hmm. of talk about, you know, well, what were regular people doing during this? You can kind of like briefly say, you know, oh, people, you know,
0: they made cheese.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Like, (laughs) and especially when you're talking about some sort of an unjust system, some sort of exploitation, it's kind of easy to be like, damn, people should have done something. Like, they did. They just got they crushed. They did. Yeah. You know?
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's a good point. So, and crushed, they did. They did get. So, I I have in my notes what I have coined, uh, Christine's summary for the people. You can all also right. just call it the people summary. If you sign up for our <laughs> Patreon, you get to see my notes. There's True. lots of yeah. them, lots of all caps. Very angry <laughs> in this one. <laughs> so... Um, Christine summary for the people TM here. Basic cycle. You got you brutalize people, you extract the resource, you ban manufacturing, and you leave whenever it's all gone.
1: Yeah, that's uh That's basically what you do here. That's uh how would we put this?
0: The capitalist credo.
1: Easy recipe for imperialism, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's that's what you do. And he gives, you know, more examples. A lot of this book just becomes like I mean, one, it's a bummer, but it's just example after example of like, oh, gosh, just more, more brutality. So Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He talks about the Yaqui from Sonora, uh, the Sonora region of Mexico. Mm -hmm. They were displaced and sent to work on plantations in the Yucatan. Uh, They had over 100,000 slaves and two thirds of them died during the first year.
1: That's a pretty high turnover rate
0: yeah yeah you tribes in Brazil they had two hundred and thirty tribes in nineteen hundred by the time this book was being written, it was down to one hundred and forty.
1: who knows how is many now? tribes, yeah,
0: I'm sure there's not many now, yeah,
1: well, they're it's... setting the thing on fire pretty much, so
0: the yeah Amazon
1: uh, yeah, and you know what is what is the cause of all this? You know, it's not because these people did anything to wrong the Europeans or anything like that. It's just they were in the wrong place. they had too much stuff, mm-hmm. And it's brutal. Like he talks about shooting them from helicopters. Yeah. Poisoning them.
0: So he says dynamite has been tossed into their villages and that they've been given gifts of sugar mixed with strychnine and salt mixed with arsenic. So great gifts, (laughs) (laughs) y'all.
1: Merry Christmas. Yeah, no, that's brutal. Yeah. There's more examples of it with, uh, just how the oppression just wears people down. They talk about, uh, the use of coca leaves and uh, like a liquor called Aguardiente. Mm-hmm. And to me, this was like, you know, the oppressed class kind of being inf- inflicted with these, using them as a way of coping with this shitty situation. And it was productive for the occupiers, too, for the Spanish. Like the, like the church was getting a cut of this or something like yeah, that.
0: Yeah, they were fucking getting money from coca leaf sales. Cool church. And back on the, I guess the substance abuse. I think you can see that today with the opioid crisis. Like, yeah, you gotta fucking self medicate. We know a fucking healthcare, and mm-hmm. you're working a, you know, a retail job where you're on your feet all day. You're doing manual labor. Like, what the fuck else are you gonna do?
1: Yeah, and it's, you know, it's a symptom of people's desperation. You know,
0: absolutely. So a lot of this is focused on Latin America, but I mean, I think we need to talk about slavery in Latin America as well. Like not mm-hmm. just indigenous slavery, but... African slavery. of Yeah, Africans. So 10 million slaves were brought to Brazil and they would baptize them before they crossed the Atlantic in case oh. they died, because a lot of them died, Yeah, you know. Mm-hmm. And then they were required to attend mass, but not allowed to sit in the pews. Cool.
1: Yeah, that's... <laughs>
0: <laughs> just... I'm laughing because it's terrible, like yeah. what the fuck else can you do? Mm-hmm. like it's just a big cluster if if enslaving you know the natives weren't enough, I guess too many of them died, they needed to go enslave some more people,
1: yeah, and mass uh mass amounts of people die on the journey across mm-hmm. the Atlantic and then die, or they die when they short, shortly after arriving. they talked about just they would just leave people there who were too sick to sell as slaves, yeah, they would just leave them there in the docks like. You'll die eventually and move on. And then people would die of overwork, you know, of just being exploited. And he also, he goes on to kind of give some other examples, not just of silver, but also discovery of gold, discovery of diamonds. In Brazil, this ends up being the same pattern, right? The Mm -hmm. same boom bust pattern, the same cycle goes through. And the same amount of, again, human blood uh, being spilled to make it all happen.
0: Yeah. Yeah. If your cycle requires that, not a great cycle.
1: Yeah. And capitalism requires that. So not a great Absolutely
0: requires it. To this fucking day is the thing. Like, Mm -hmm. that's kind of, that's what I took from this. Like, obviously, I'm very angry about like the fucking, you know, murder of my ancestors. Not a fan of that. Yes. But I also, I carry this with me in terms of being angry at the state of the world today because we definitely still do this. We still, you know, exploit people's labor for cheap clothes and cheap technology. Yeah. And like rare earth minerals and all kinds of shit. Like- Mm -hmm. We are required to be a little bit racist in order to get things cheap. That's really what it comes oh, down yeah.
1: to. for sure. And, and on a global scale, that's built in.
0: Absolutely. You look at, like, the clothing industry. It's horrible about this. Technology. All of it, basically. Food. Oh, my God. Food is very bad about this.
1: Yes. Yeah. And we'll get into that in this next section, actually. Chapter yeah. two, King Sugar and Other Agricultural Monarchs.
0: You know, King Sugar sounds like he would be a cute Adventure Time character, but he is not.
1: Yeah. No, King Sugar does sound nice. <laughs> He's no.
0: not. All right. Christine's summary for the people. Here's what happens in this chapter. All right. <laughs> you get a cash crop. All right. Usually it's brought over, which I learned from this. Yeah. Um, I, I did not realize that coffee and sugar do not grow naturally in the Caribbean.
1: Yeah, no, that was an interesting discovery.
0: <laughs> yeah. So they plant something and they realize, oh, shit, it grows great here. So foreign interests, you know. Just plant the shit out of it and destroy the soil. Cause, mm-hmm. like, hey, bad for soil to plant the same thing over and over again. Duh. Who knew?
1: <laughs> Who knew the natives knew, actually?
0: They actually knew. And that's why they, like, were able to feed themselves for fucking centuries. <laughs> uh, they forced it to become a monoculture. And basically, you can't feed yourself anymore because you're not growing your fucking, you know, potatoes or whatever. Yeah. And, so to feed people, the rich people that live there get to import whatever the fuck they want because they made money off of the sugar or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And the poor people eat like rats and shit, basically. And dirt. And literally dirt.
1: Actual dirt. Yeah. That is, uh, you're spot on with the summary. That's, <laughs> that is it. Yeah. Sugar comes in and then other crops he talks about. But wherever they set up, whatever, wherever the imperialists set up, they introduce a monoculture and destroy mm-hmm. the land for their own gain.
0: Yeah. This is something obviously still going on today. Like we have a real monoculture problem. We have a real agriculture problem. Soil erosion is a huge problem. And mm-hmm. It's like these people fucking knew how to do this literally centuries ago. Yeah. And we are just now being like, oh, maybe we should try that. Like,
1: <laughs> well, we're just now actually going because I mean, like people we are not a- about actually going that. to. People knew about that. They just didn't like didn't want care. to entertain it as a thing to do because it's less profitable.
0: Exactly. Yeah.
1: It's only now that like if they do, if they keep doing what they're doing, they're literally just going to die with the planet um, <laughs> yeah, or their children yeah. will. It's only now that they're starting to say, well, maybe we should actually consider, it. <laughs> you know, so
0: irresponsible and they
1: probably won't. They probably will just be like, no. well, that's that's somebody in the future. That's their problem. <laughs>
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, So, yeah, he goes in here and and talks about sugar dominating northeastern Brazil, Haiti, Cuba. He kind of jumps around and talks about their experience in these different places.
0: Yeah. In Brazil, you would work from sunrise to sunset and get half a kilo of manioc starch. Yeah. Not that's not very much. That's your wage. Damn. Yeah. That's not very much food.
1: That's I mean, that's starvation wages right there. Yeah, yeah, they were completely dominant in there. That's stood out to me. That they said that in some places, droit de seigneur, the 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 right of the first night, was still effective. Mm. Yeah, which was, I mean, it's barbaric that that would be around.
0: Absolutely, yeah. You know, he he goes into even more stats. You know, just people living in hovels, half of babies would die before they're a year old. Uh, You had a worse protein deficiency and weight loss uh, that was forty percent worse than like in Africa. Mm -hmm. Um, child prostitution like it's just a bad fucking scene
1: yeah and that's you know the experience in northeastern brazil moves on to in the caribbean where at some point uh, haiti has a revolution
0: yeah the anniversary of this was actually recently oh really yeah i think it was a couple weeks ago saw it on twitter
1: yeah no i mean haiti had like a slave revolt basically Mm -hmm. uh, where they rose up and reclaimed their country for themselves drove the french out Fuck and yeah. afterward, to get their independence recognized, they had to pay France. They had to pay them like an indemnity. They had to pay back and say like, "Sorry, you know."
0: <laughs> That's insane. Like, I don't, I don't understand how that works. I guess, like, I guess people, people like embargoed them and shit until they did that, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, because I'm like, isn't the whole point of of independence be like, "Nah, I'm done with you." Like, sure, I, there's yeah. It seems weird. It seems like beating somebody up and then being like. Hey, here's here's five bucks or whatever. <laughs> like I don't know.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's that's what it was for was for trade.
0: Yeah, ugh, it's gross.
1: Uh, it talks about the experience that Cuba has as well.
0: This was an interesting one. So I mean, he talks about the same kind of cycle of the monoculture and stuff like that. Like they were super dependent on sugar. Like that was their fucking economy. Mm-hmm. And they had this huge unemployed population. I think because it's like seasonal work too. Yeah. And all of their food was imported. Mm-hmm. And I mean, just to kind of show how dominating it was, 13 U.S. sugar producers owned f- over 47% of the total area of sugarcane.
1: That is wild. <laughs> it's just, That's, it's
0: ridiculous. Yeah.
1: It's just, uh, it's an oligarchy, you know?
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And so uh, he doesn't go into detail, I don't believe, of like, I guess they would call it the Cuban Revolution. I'm yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. But um, and he talks about how basically they were starting from not scratch, but negative, you know, like they had a monoculture. They had this system where if something broke down in one of their factories, yeah. they would have to call somebody and mm-hmm. be like, hey, what do I do? Instead of like they didn't have like their own technicians that knew what to do. It was all like they would phone just, based.
1: Yeah, they would just give you instructions. And then if you couldn't do it, they would send some people over to do it. They didn't want you to have the know-how. You know, they didn't want them to be able to, to work it themselves.
0: Yeah, yeah. And that's a definitely a big pattern here is like this heavy restriction on manufacturing and, and food processing. It's
1: yeah. Weird. Uh and so yeah, revolutionary Cuba, like you said, they're they're starting in the whole the sugar monoculture had really hurt them mm-hmm. before. So it was kind of weird, but they ended up having to still use sugar. And its export, you know, its export potential, like the money coming in from that, they had to use that as a way to be able to industrialize and diversify and everything. Yeah. I I thought that was interesting that they.
0: Well, yeah, because I mean, in that case, the profits would go to actually setting up more shit and not just to, you know, the 13 U.S. people that own the sugar.
1: Right. Yeah. And they were super hampered in terms of who they, how they could do that because they couldn't trade with so many people because the U.S. hated them.
0: Yeah. Yeah was definitely hobbled in that way. He know, shout out the literacy brigades at one point, which I liked. Yeah. Yeah. He talked about the U.S. fuckery down there, Bay of Pigs, which we've talked about in the shape yeah. of our episode. And this Alan Dulles motherfucker. I
1: hate this guy.
0: <laughs> this guy sucks. Tell me about this guy that I hate.
1: Alan Dulles, CIA director. He was, you know, his brother, uh, John Foster Dulles, was in charge of the State Department.
0: Cool. Cool brothers.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, what could go wrong, right? One State Department brother.
0: I'd love to be invited
1: to that Christmas party. uh, These guys (laughs) guys are assholes, and (laughs) they just go around, you know, knocking over whatever countries they think they can knock over. Alan Dulles was on the board of the United Fruit Company, Mm -hmm. as well as the Francisco Sugar Company in Cuba. And when the revolutionary Cuban government expropriated their company, Mm-hmm. uh they got pissed like they sued and were like oh you actually you know remember when we said about the tax thing how they would be like oh we're not worth anything
0: oh yeah yeah and
1: so the government was like cool well here's the money that your worthless company is worth you know here's three dollars <laughs> yeah and yeah. then they'd be like what we're actually worth 51 million dollars that's exactly what happened here you know
0: god shitheads
1: yeah general jackasses absolutely so that yeah they had to deal with stuff like that with the shortages there was a quote in here that i liked he said that they that they found out that socialism is built with clenched teeth and revolution is no evening stroll
0: oh yeah i mean true
1: yeah something maybe for us to keep in (laughs) mind is when (laughs) if we ever get to this in our lifetimes uh it's probably not going to be not going to be that easy
0: no not gonna be pleasant that's for sure
1: yeah Uh, And also a good line in here, you know, we're referring to kind of like, despite things like the Bay of Pigs and despite like all these attempts to undermine it, Mm -hmm. it says Cuba doesn't fall despite constant harassment because strange dictatorship, it's people defend it.
0: I know. Yeah. This comes up a couple of times with these movements. Like Mm -hmm. you have something that seems very intense and in my like initial response, like, oh, that's a little like militaristic or something, but it's like. Seems popular. People like it, though. Like, what are you going to fucking do?
1: True. Yeah. All right. What do we want to get to next?
0: I don't know. I l- highlighted this line here. I thought that was an interesting. He's talking about, like, England's sugar trade and stuff like that. And he says this line, Britain became the leader in the anti-slavery campaign. British industry needed international markets with more purchasing power, which led it to preach the gospel of wages.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Like, I have never made that connection before. Is that a thing? Is that what, why they did that?
1: You know, no one wrote it down, I don't think. I don't think anyone <laughs> said, here's our master plan. But uh, it does make sense. It it kind of falls under, he later on talks about the cycle of protectionism and free mm-hmm. trade, right? So you can say, you can draw the line and say, okay, well, once British industry develops enough and it needs to have a, a, a foreign market in addition to its domestic market Mm. it's got to have people to sell to and if all the other countries are full of you know a few rich slave owners and masses of slaves uh there's not enough of a demand there because the slaves can't demand anything besides just like food and basic shelter so unless you can sell enough stuff to the few masters uh, then so gross then you can't do it so you have to say actually you guys you know don't do slavery anymore pay workers so that they have enough money to buy our stuff
0: that's insane.
1: Yeah. And it's a with any class interest thing, like, you know, any sort of analysis by Marx or whatever, he never tries to paint it as a, they never try to paint it as a secret plan that gets executed. You know, it's like <laughs> stage <laughs> one. Cabal. Yeah. Yeah. It's nothing like that. It's just like the forces, the social forces, like push people in this direction.
0: It, yeah. Like, it's a scientific thing. It's just mm-hmm. like, you know, when this happens why happens, you know.
1: Yeah. So it's you know, we're not saying that like they woke up one day and said They twirled By God, their mustaches. We've to, yeah. <laughs> we've got to introduce wage labor. You know? <laughs> it just that's how they started the two went hand in hand, I guess.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I I think the superstructure plays a role in here too. Like I think, you know, as the abolition movement grew, they probably were like, Okay, this this is no longer in vogue.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. There was a thing in in here about slavery, uh, where and the whole theme here is, of course, that capitalism exploitation of Latin America here and re- all of its riches. You know, this was built off of slavery, of enslavement mm-hmm. of people. You know, absolutely. And uh, there's this this little part in here where he talks about Queen Elizabeth uh, finding out that this guy had smuggled some slaves. She said it was detestable and would call down vengeance from heaven upon the undertakers, but when he told her that he had exchanged it for all this cargo and everything, she forgave him and became his business partner
0: I was <laughs> oh, right, see earlier in the book in sixteen o nine or sixteen o one Philip the Third banned forced labor in the mines by decree at the same time sent secret instructions ordering its continuation. Quote, in case that measure should reduce production.
1: (laughs) Uh, Well, (laughs) there you go. No more
0: quotation unless I lose money.
1: (laughs) That's uh, labor laws in liberal society. (laughs) I guess, yeah, the next thing he kind of talks about are these uh, revolts against slavery.
0: Yeah. He talks about this one in Brazil where these slaves ran off, like, basically into the forests. Mm -hmm. And they created their own kingdom in northeastern Brazil.
1: Yeah, the kingdom of Palmares.
0: Yeah. And you know, of course the uh slave masters did not like that. They what? went in and tried to get them back and they fought them off for years. And um they had an elected chief, diverse agriculture, no money. Sounds great to me. Yeah. Uh and according to the of this writing, no slave rebellion in the world lasted as long as Palmares.
1: That's awesome. They were yeah, they yeah. were kind of proto-communist again, you know. Those,
0: Basically, yeah. Just like fuck this shit.
1: And yeah, there's The slaves in Cuba uh, who, and this is why this book, one of the things that is interesting about this book is we're, you know, we're back to Cuba. Now we're talking about slavery beforehand instead of revolutionary Cuba. Kind of jumps back and forth a lot. It does. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But Cuban slaves committing mass suicide. So they are brought back to life in Africa based on their, on their beliefs.
0: Mm -hmm. And then like they're fucking the shithead masters would then mutilate their bodies To prevent
1: this. To like show it to the other slaves and be like, look what happens. If you kill yourself, I'm going to mutilate your body. So you can't do that thing.
0: Yeah. It's horrifying. Just.
1: Yeah. But what I like about this section is, again, he is showing that people were resisting. You know, it wasn't Mm -hmm. like people sometimes students will do this when when we're learning when we're first learning about slavery and what kind of it entails and everything. They're like, damn, if I was then, you know, if I lived back then, I would have run away or I would have. (laughs) done something i wouldn't have done that you know it's like well people didn't you know people did try to like fight against it that's a thing
0: (laughs) gosh yeah let's see he goes into some other cash crops rubber cacao cotton coffee Mm -hmm. uh one note that i found interesting he says that i think he was talking about the rubber industry at this point that employers had an agreement that they wouldn't hire workers with debt to other employers that is just evil
1: yeah, employers Ugh. agreements, uh, it's fine for them to organize, but not for us, right?
0: Yeah, what the fuck, man? And we didn't really get into this, but part of that um, comienda system is getting these people into massive debt. Mm-hmm. And then saying, oh, well, now you're basically enslaved because you owe me because I paid for you know the food that you ate and the tools and all this shit. Um, oh, and they'll provide lots of liquor. So that way you get more drunk and you like keep buying liquor. Yep. And then you're, guess what? You're basically enslaved.
1: Yep. It's like a, like a souped-up version of a company town, pretty much.
0: Basically, yeah.
1: Company plantation. And, uh, yeah, no, it's, it's super effective. They pile on this debt, and then you can't leave because they've made this agreement, you know? It's mm-hmm. that whole, like, cooperation thing is super effective, and I guess that's one of the main... You know reasons they're so afraid and so opposed to labor unions. They don't want that sort of a, that sort <laughs> it's of a the thing. wrong
0: kind of cooperation. <laughs> yeah,
1: they don't want to turn on them.
0: <laughs> yeah, they understand that it's powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, and another example of powerful cooperation. They talk about this company, Anderson Clayton and Company, a U.S. firm that basically just nailed the game on vertical interga- integration. Yeah, uh, they sell cotton fibers food, cotton production, fertilizers, seeds, insecticides, oils, fat, you know, cotton oil, cotton, I guess, fat. There's probably margarine, cacao, and coffee. So basically everything. Yep. (laughs) And what was fascinating, they didn't own the land. They would extend credit to people to work the land and then sell it to them at a low price just so they could supervise. Like they basically just like...
1: They were the uh, middlemen.
0: Yeah, they just schemed their way into this.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. And so many of these companies seem to be like that is they're just there to kind of like buy and sell mm-hmm anderson clayton and company a cotton trading firm started in oklahoma city oh 1904 they moved to houston very early in the Ugh. 20th century
0: yeah here
1: and uh, eventually they were acquired by the quaker oats company
0: <laughs> cool that nice smiling oat oh, man yeah actually a pillager
1: so i don't know what you know obviously they're probably doing something shady today
0: (laughs) i still don't trust. this is not that's general mills right i'm sure they do some bad shit
1: yeah i mean i'm sure quaker oats rather but
0: oh i thought quaker oats was owned by general mills
1: you know it could be man they're all owned by like the same three people yeah so (laughs) (laughs) and this you know with rubber with we talked about sugar rubber now coffee and cacao like all all this is um gonna see the same cycle the same exploitative circle the people who are actually, you know, producing the things get basically fucking nothing.
0: Yeah. Can I give the coffee example? Sure. Yeah. So this is in 1962 in Colombia. Only 5% of the price yielded, like from tree to consumer, mm-hmm. goes to wages.
1: 5%. Yeah. He has <laughs> yeah, like that whole breakdown of who it goes to the middlemen yeah. and the taxes and everything. 5% to the I mean, I would love to see the numbers on that. That was in that was in 1962. I'd love to see the numbers on that. Now it's probably still terrible, you know. I'm
0: sure it is. It might be worse.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. It's
0: insane. And and he talked about the boom and bust cycle again. In 1969, Brazil burned 78 million sacks of coffee, which is the result of five harvests and 200 thousand people's hard work, backbreaking work. So they could drive up prices because they're getting priced out by other places. Yeah. Insane.
1: That's, that reminds me of Marx and Engels, man. Crisis is not scarcity, but it's the overabundance, you know? The, yeah. They demanded profit, and that's why they had to set all that on fire.
0: It's oh, insane.
1: It Ugh. is crazy. There were, he talks about these leaders who saw the emerging coffee market and everything and, and how it was dominating their countries. They saw that kind of as a good thing, a new stable thing that would help them, like, modernize and grow and develop hmm and how that was very wrong
0: <laughs> can we talk about this guy
1: sure yeah there was uh there was a big a, a big event because of this liberal leader uh named Jorge eliezer Gaitan.
0: <laughs> his nicknames are the wolf or the idiot <laughs> so that's quite the range
1: man well, like would That would be a nickname that you would call him, like, when you're talking about him, not to him, <laughs> certainly, yeah, right? probably
0: not. Yeah. Maybe,
1: I mean... you know, he was just a himbo and was cool with it.
0: <laughs> he does sound like a himbo. <laughs>
1: uh, he got shot. Mm-hmm. And then La Violencia erupted, uh, basically a long civil war, a decade long uh, in Colombia, 1948 to 1958.
0: That's a long one.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Initially, this is uh, like a war between kind of conservatives and liberals, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, eventually, though, the liberals sign a peace pact with the conservatives and agree to go after the communists.
0: Wow. Well, ain't that a, a trend? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Where have I seen that before? <sighs>
1: <sighs> and yeah, the whole example, you know, and he, t- he talks about like the violence there, kind of being this expression of you know the horrors of the system lay bare Uh, yeah but the i think the whole episode is an example of how the coffee trade and the prosperity that it brought it didn't affect the social order he Mm -hmm. you know it doesn't change who's in charge it doesn't give the people more power it just helped accumulate capital and make the country more dependent on its colonial masters
0: yeah and Not to jump ahead too far, but he talks about this later when he talks about other countries when they gain their, quote unquote, independence. Often that first wave of independence is really just the rich people there wanting to benefit directly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like Mexico is a good example of that. Like the the Porfino-Diaz regime was just like, it was the same thing, essentially. For most people, their lives didn't change.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, you know, you do start in, in the Mexican example, you do see initially after independence, you have different governments that do, you know, I guess they'd liberalize things in a good way in terms of from mm-hmm. from authoritarian.
0: <laughs> yeah, from totally depraved to acceptable.
1: Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, you do see some reforms that are good in that at that time. But, yeah, once you get to the time of, for your ideas, you you are looking at just autocracy again you know Mm -hmm. but yeah back to coffee and all that takes over central america conscription of the natives into serfdom basically Mm -hmm. same thing latifundios Mm -hmm. and minifundios minifundios being like their own personal little very little patch of land yeah that they're allowed to kind of like work um in their time off like in the dark you know
0: (laughs) yeah yeah Not a thing.
1: It's actually, like, their form of payment, though. It's like they don't get paid in the latifundios. They get paid by, like, oh, yeah, I'll allow you to work on a little bit of land. A
0: second job. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, thanks. (laughs) Oh, gee, thanks. Yeah. And then we get to some good old-fashioned U.S. imperialism.
1: Wonderful. Wonderful. Tell me
0: about this William Walker motherfucker because he seems like a real bad guy.
1: William Walker, first of all, the first thing you got to know about William Walker is uh-huh. he was crazy.
0: Like, legitimately, I don't know. Ill. He
1: seems <laughs> like he has some sort of a mental condition of like uh, delusions of grandeur.
0: Mm, okay. Okay. I mean, it seems I have in my notes here he declared himself president of Nicaragua, El Salvador, Honduras.
1: So, yeah, that was a thing that he would routinely do. <laughs>
0: Just be like, I'm in charge now. Not
1: just there. Uh, he has listed under his Wikipedia bio here. <laughs> uh, he was uh, around in the in the 1800s, mid-1800s is what we're talking okay. about for him. But on his Wikipedia bio, he's got President of the Republic of Nicaragua, First President of the Republic of Sonora.
0: Oh, like Mexico?
1: Yeah, and First President oh. of the Republic of Lower California. Okay. Now, Sonora and, and Lower California were both like... In northwestern Mexico basically okay
0: yeah yeah and
1: uh, they're they're unrecognized states and he does kind of what he did in Latin America he just goes in like acts like he's in charge like with a little mercenary band and sees if he can take over and all these oh, fuck. attempts fail uh, he does this in uh, he's he's working in the book here it describes him working with bankers they're underlings of Cornelius Vanderbilt this very this business tycoon in America.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And they wanted him to do this so that they could like steal equipment or whatever, basically to rip him off and go into business for themselves. What the fuck? And so they're like, yeah, this William Walker guy, he'll, he'll do it. He'll go into, (laughs) uh, he'll go in there and take over the place and, and run it for us. Yeah.
0: What the fuck?
1: It's crazy.
0: He also restored slavery.
1: Yeah. That was, that was as part of a bid to, uh, win the support of Southern states in the United States. Wow. You know, that that way they would be like, Oh yeah, let's annex this place so that we have another slave state.
0: Oh my God.
1: Yeah. He's crazy. He just goes through and like, you know, has, does war over there. He just like invades. (laughs) Professional invader. He comes in with a, like a foreign army of just kind of mercenaries. He's got, uh, he organized a battalion of four companies, of which one was composed of Germans, a second of Frenchmen, and the other two of Americans. 240 okay. men. And he goes through and takes over Nicaragua and then ends up going to war with neighboring countries. They kind of all team up to go against him because he sucks. Yeah. It's wild.
0: <laughs> it's just insane. Um, uh, there are some really bonkers quotes in this chapter.
1: Yeah. Well, when US, when the U.S. starts doing imperialism, that's what you get.
0: <laughs> this one from Taft in 1912. The day is not far distant when three stars and stripes at three equidistant points will mark our territory. One at the North Pole, another at the Panama Canal, and the third at the South Pole. The whole hemisphere will be ours, in fact, as by virtue of our superiority of race, oh. it already is ours morally.
1: Damn. Tapped,
0: cool president
1: doing some fanfic there <laughs> some sci- dystopian sci-fi
0: yeah, speculative fiction yeah
1: <laughs> that is oh. that's uh i guess our timeline could be darker
0: <laughs> technically yes it could be worse
1: <laughs>
0: but not by much yeah jesus
1: uh he also declared that foreign po- the foreign policy should really just be all about making profits for the capitalists. He was just open about this, you know?
0: Absolutely.
1: I, I I don't know. I kind of appreciate that politicians (laughs) used to be, yeah. used to be more like open about like, there's that one old quote of like the business of the American government is business, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, like presidents used to be more open and be like, Hey, look, we're capitalists. We want to (laughs) do this. What We're trying to do here. Yeah. If we have to give you some scraps, fine. But like mainly we're all about this.
0: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) They have a quote from this Marine.
1: Mm-hmm. Let's see. Smedley Butler.
0: Smedley D. Bl- That's a bad name. Anyway, <laughs> sorry, man. I mean, props to him for coming clean. Yeah. Because he admits, in short, I was a racketeer for capitalism. Uh, I helped make Tampico safe for American oil interests in 1914. I helped make Haiti and Cuba a decent place for the National City Bank. I helped purify Nicaragua for the International Banking House of Brown Brothers. Like, you just lists off all this shit that he basically freed up for American companies. Mm-hmm. It's insane.
1: Yeah. He wrote this book in 1935 called war is a racket where he kind of just, you know, like you said, kind of confesses, uh, yeah. all these things and he's using it to kind of criticize American foreign policy as imperialist, as just geared for profits. And he becomes like this kind of, you know, pacifist, uh, and you know, in later life, he's interesting. Uh, in 1933, before he wrote that book, and before everybody knew what he was about, I guess. Uh, by that point in his life, he was already like a really super decorated mm. Marine. Yeah, I bet. And he became in he, he's kind of cool because he didn't do a coup against FDR. Uh, the in the That's business good. plot, there is this plot by American businessmen to to coup FDR and Holy to shit. install Smedley Butler <laughs> as like a dictator. What? Yeah. This uh, guy a That was the
0: ruler of the United States.
1: That uh well yeah, but he you know, he turned him down and told and people wrote about a it. Book. And, yeah, and then they were like, "Oh damn, he actually hates all this stuff." We th- you know, because I mean, he was doing imperialism before this, yeah, so I guess they yeah, assumed. Actively. <laughs> yeah. But can't That's judge insane. a book by their uh imperialist actions, I guess.
0: <laughs> he, he, I still can. <laughs> I, he still did the things. He still killed a lot of people.
1: That's true. Yeah, he's still a troop. But he's, Ugh. you know, cool for not cooing us, I guess.
0: Yeah. yeah. Low bar.
1: <laughs> um, Galliano talks about the U.S. occupation of Haiti, which yeah. I literally did not know about.
0: I didn't either. I mean, I don't know any of this shit. This was all news to me.
1: <laughs> Fair enough. I, yeah, I, you're right. I didn't know mm, details about most of it at all. I knew, like, vaguely shit sucked is what I knew.
0: Yeah. I mean, like. When you hear about, like, when you cover the high school version of this, Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's, they talk about imperialism, they talk about it as, like, Oh, we dug the Panama Canal. That was cool. Like they don't really talk about the fucking brutality behind oh, yeah. it and like the gross racism, like that Taft quote. They don't talk about any of that. They're just like, "Yeah, we're we grew a lot of bananas. It's was, it was pretty fun." It
1: sounds like yeah, they make it sound like it a habitat good. for humanity project because it sounds like we're going over there and building cities and mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. building, you know, putting together farms and all this stuff. Like we're we're just making shit happen for people, you know, and it's yeah. good. But yeah, they don't cover what that's actually for, that we're not building a farm so they can have a farm. We're you know, we're building it to take <laughs> somewhere it else. to
0: feed us. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I, I don't think most people know about U.S. imperialism. Like, I think if you ask, like, just a person on the street, like, do you think that's a thing? They'd be like, what are you talking about?
1: Yeah. In America. The rest of the world knows yeah. very well oh, about yeah, they American know. <laughs> imperialism.
0: <laughs> no, I mean, yeah. Yeah, but, yeah. Someone just off the streets in, in the U.S., they'd be like, uh, imperialism, isn't that like, I don't know england Where, yeah. wasn't that them
1: mm-hmm. yeah or france or something yeah so yeah the u.s occupation of haiti went on for 20 years jesus like under direct governmental control like they were passing laws about this in congress and stuff like it was they knew about it i, I, I don't know they knew about it but like it was on purpose it was like we yeah. are occupying this <laughs> place on purpose. it wasn't indirect or anything it Oops. was just boom we're in charge
0: They only took over a country <laughs>
1: They introduce segregation because mm. I mean, you know, you got to have when your business is when your businessmen are going down there, they can't see like an integrated society.
0: No, oh, that's too much.
1: Forced labor. They killed fifteen hundred workers. The United Fruit was basically running that place as a as its own colony. You know?
0: Yeah, not a company ca- town, a company country.
1: Yes. Yeah. Ugh. Oh, uh, <laughs> yeah. You have the note on there about the the the, the bank the.
0: Okay, yeah. So he also says the local government refused to turn the Banco Nacional into a bank into a branch of New York's national city bank. And so they suspended the salaries of the president and his ministers, so give him a second chance to think that one over.
1: I'm sure they capitulated at that point, you know. That's wild. (laughs) Just take over the National Bank of Haiti with a New York City bank. Just (laughs) that's a branch of us now.
0: Insane. But yeah.
1: Man, that's what they were doing.
0: And again, to to reiterate, the people were standing up against this. At one point, there was a strike mm-hmm. for like the banana workers had a strike, and United Fruit uh, mowed those guys down completely. Just destroyed them. Just shot them.
1: Yeah. And this, you know, over this over the course of this occupation, right? We said fifteen hundred workers mowed down in that strike. Overall, you have you know twenty around twenty two hundred you know known people killed, probably more. Yeah. Violent stuff.
0: Yeah yeah i called this next section dictator time
1: dictators all right
0: (laughs) all right christine summary for the people here's what happens when you get dictators guys (laughs) if any of this sounds familiar watch out you may have a dictator so you get someone in charge probably placed in charge by Uh, some sort of u.s backed coup um and they continue to cut deals with the u.s slash united fruit what's the difference (laughs) am i right Um, eventually poor people get pissed and they, they rise up or they maybe even elect a socialist. Whoa. Mm -hmm. And then the U S is like, man, no, that was our, that was our dude. We were friends. And so they either directly invade or they hire mercenaries to take them out.
1: Yeah. (laughs) It's like, Hey, actually, no, don't do that. Uh, get that guy out of there. What are you doing? That's wrong. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah. This happens literally fucking everywhere. It is insane.
1: Mm hmm. Uh, it happens in Nicaragua. The U.S. occupies that country as well. Uh, we just do this all over Central America and the Caribbean. They're called the Banana Wars, mm-hmm. which is a cooler name. It's <laughs> kind of goofy. Yeah, that's why. Yeah, that's its appeal, in my opinion.
0: Mm, okay, okay.
1: Uh, this happens from 1898 to 1934.
0: That's a long time, Jeez.
1: Yeah, uh, we're intervening, invading is what that means. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, Cuba, yeah. Panama, Honduras, Nicaragua, Mexico, Haiti, Dominican Republic—all of them had some form of U.S. invasion during that time.
0: And it's all under the guise of this anti-communist like aesthetic. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of it is at least. Like in El, El Salvador, they were saying like, "Oh, these are these are Bolsheviks," you know. Yeah. And in Guatemala, they were called communists because they were doing like agrarian reforms and. And there's an Eisenhower quote that says we had to get rid of a communist government which had taken over. These people were elected.
1: Yes. Yeah. Democratically. <laughs>
0: take, yeah, I don't know what you're talking about. And man. they
1: weren't communists. They were And
0: they weren't even communists.
1: They were just they were actually literally capitalists. They were trying to develop their industry. So that they wouldn't, you know, but they were, you know, nationalist, I guess, domestic Yeah, they were nationalizing
0: things, which and, yeah, did not fly well. Exactly.
1: That's the guy, you're talking about Jacobo Arbenz, right? Mm, yeah, yeah. That's, yeah, they were go, They were doing land reform. We mentioned this before when we were talking about uh, in our Che Guevara episode, isn't we? Mm-hmm. And did land reform, United Fruit hated it, and so, yeah. Communists, we gotta get rid of them. Yeah. Oh, no. And, of course, uh. Uh, the U.S., backs this loser armas yeah armas
0: Armas, and then mendez just just a couple it, dictators and when
1: they depose Arbits, it just descends into a series of dictators and this struck me this was astounding i just didn't know this or had never looked into it so many of these latin american countries have dictators or just president whatever you know the person in charge is there Sheds. for like two years at the mm-hmm. most, usually it's just like one year, part of a year or something before they get <laughs> ousted in a fucking coup. And Jesus. that's just because like, well, you know, it's it's a tale as old as time and the USA going in there and des- destabilizing a region. Yep. Once we do it to somebody, we've delegitimized the democratic process. And then next time you don't like a guy, why wait around for another election? Just fucking yeah. out him.
0: Yeah. And like you... It is literally still happening today. Like people mm-hmm. are scratching their heads, like, why is Venezuela so bad right now? It's like we fucking did it. It was us. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. What What is wrong? Oh, it's so upsetting. They act like it's like these un like these uncivilized Like they just they just haven't figured out democracy yet. Like, it's no.
1: It's the meme where the guy like shoots the dude in the chair repeatedly, and then it's like, oh, why yeah. have these people done this?
0: <laughs> exactly. It is exactly that. It's insane, y'all. like i I just I don't think enough people know about this or if they do, they have weird ass excuses why it's okay,
1: yeah, it's crazy. And this happens, like we said, throughout the region, there are independence movements happening. And I think he offers a good class analysis here with these independence movements as kind of a bourgeois mm-hmm. you know revolution sort of sort of thing. It's, however, the bourgeois doesn't. They don't do the next step. They don't develop like a, a capitalism at home. They de- they continue to develop capitalism, I guess, but still at the behest of uh, foreign countries of the They're imperial so masters,
0: just saying, "Please let me sell you something." Yes, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this happens in a lot of places. He mentions Uruguay, Argentina, and Mexico, which is, which is my fave, obviously. <laughs> uh, let's talk about Mexico.
1: All right. So in. Mexico, uh, the Mexican Revolution, it's not an independence movement, per se, Mm -hmm. because they already had their independence. Uh, But it was a revolution, nonetheless, they're overthrowing, by that point, the dictatorship of Porfirio Diaz.
0: Yeah. Uh, There's this horrifying quote from John Kenneth Turner. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Just really lays bare (laughs) what's going on here. Uh, He was a journalist, and he (laughs) he wrote this Quote: The U.S. has virtually reduced Diaz to a political dependency, and by doing so, has virtually transformed Mexico into a slave colony of the United States.
1: Crazy, yeah. I mean, he's you know he's not wrong. That was in a book of his titled "Barbarous Mexico," uh, which was written to help discredit Mexican President Porfirio Diaz's regime. So he's just like exposing, you know, how mm, shitty. It yeah, is. yeah.
0: Just like, oh, this guy's a literal puppet. Like we don't. Fucking need this, dude.
1: Yeah. I mean, because you had 12 million people in the hacienda system, you know, like they were, they were, like he said, essentially slaves.
0: Yeah. Same, same shit, different masters. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. I love the saying he wrote. I don't I don't know like if this was actually a saying or not, but the, he has a quote Poor Mexico, so far from God and so close to the United States.
1: Yeah, it's it's a tough place to be. That's <laughs> uh attributed to Porfirio Diaz, actually. Really? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, that's that's the short version of of this part here. Uh it's yeah, overall sure. the Mexican Revolution's really complicated.
0: Yeah, yeah. We should def get into that at some that point. That should
1: that could be yep. an episode, like that's for sure. <laughs> There's so many moving parts there, but yeah, it's against this basic slavery system. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, in 1910, you have the eruption of the Mexican revolution. Like I said, it's real complicated, but they do oust Porfirio Diaz. He goes into exile. A guy named Francisco Madero rises to power and he's like, just basically a disappointment.
0: Mm-hmm. He's like, oh, I'll totally
1: do reform. Yes. Yeah. He comes in and he's <laughs> like, oh, I'm going to do all this land reform. I'm going to do everything. You know, the people are going to have power. And it's similar to in the February revolution in Russia. Mm, where you yeah. Initially have this big, you know, oh, we're, we're getting rid of the czar. Oh, everyone thinks cool. we're going to have all this. You know, we're going to do all these things. And then the provisional government comes in and is like, "Yeah, we'll do like a little," eh. you
0: know. You want a shitty Congress?
1: Yeah. <laughs> and here, that's kind of what Madero does. Does there's this big popular sentiment, you know? Oh, we want all this land reform. Oh, we want this, that, and the other. And instead, he just comes in and is just like, "Oh, we're gonna like, we're gonna work with people, you know. Let's <laughs> not." West rings it up. Yeah, let's not be dangerous like you know <laughs> Emiliano Zapata over here. He's a Ooh, he's I a love bandit this guy. And uh, Madero goes after him, you know.
0: He ambushes him on his wedding day. Why? Is this a movie? I need to watch this movie. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm sure there may be a good... Uh, There's
0: probably some good A ones. good movie on it. I bet it has a baller soundtrack.
1: Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, hell yeah. <laughs> um, but Emiliano Zapata, let's talk more about him.
0: Yeah. Killer mustache, if I recall.
1: Yes, he's got a really cool mustache. <laughs> uh, Zapata proposed... Nationalization. Fuck yeah! Uh, he wanted to expropriate. He wanted to take land from uh, the enemies of the revolution, from all the rich landowners who had fought against it. Take it, redistribute it. Fuck yeah! Give it to the people.
0: Fuck yeah!
1: And um, he has kind of his own uh, army, his own like revolutionary force in the south of Mexico, while Pancho Villa had a uh, had his own uh, his own army in the north of Mexico, and these were mm-hmm. two like revolutionary. Forces fighting against you know the central government in the center of that's Mexico. That's so
0: interesting. I feel like we were raised to think Pancho Villa was very evil.
1: Yeah, no, that's that's like the tip, the portrayal of him in America is like a bandit, a yeah, you know a, a, like a monster, criminal. A
0: pit. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure I'm sure he killed a lot of people. Don't get me wrong. Sure, but yeah. These guys also did cool stuff. It seems like, and
1: are you know to be fair, Pancho Villa was like less. Mm, He was more of kind of just a warlord figure rather than a revolutionary in terms of, Mm, like, left wing. But, you know, he was working with Zapata and and helping him do that. Zapata seemed cool as fuck. Yeah. They they teamed up, basically. Uh, And there's a lot of different figures involved in all this. But uh, they end up invading or, like, conquering Mexico City Mm -hmm. throughout this. uh, And and Madero, I think, at this point is, like, assassinated uh, by now. And they're fighting against someone else completely. But there's a famous picture of them like sitting together in uh, in the Mexican presidential palace, like just hang- hanging out. There's a, it's like a big party. There's a bunch of people in the in the photo. They're all just hanging out, like drinking, eating. Sounds great. Yeah, <laughs>
0: sounds like a party. I'd love uh, to be uh. at.
1: <laughs> and uh, at some point after that, Zapata is uh, starts introducing this radical agrarian reform in his home state. Uh, mm-hmm. He kind of gets less involved in like the Mexican Revolution overall, nationwide, and just kind of goes back to his his region and governs that.
0: Yeah, so he just kind of starts his own commune.
1: Pretty much,
0: his commune's cool. They got max limits for holding sizes of land, um, and they like structure it according to climate and fertility. And also making sure that, like, enemies get their shit taken first. Love that. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> Technical schools, tool factories, rural credit banks, uh, nationalizing sugar mills and distilleries, having a very local democracy, and then establishing Zapatista schools. Basically, you know, a little indoctrinating, but, you know, it's cool. To promote revolutionary pr- principles and authentic democracy.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And, yeah. and Okay, here's the thing. This is a stupid question. This is still kind of a thing, there, right?
1: It is not still kind of a thing because, uh, like, it didn't, comp- it didn't like carry over.
0: Yeah, but it's a yeah. thing
1: there now. Yeah,
0: yeah, because uh, I was reading about it on Twitter the other day. I watched some videos about it. I'm like, this is cool as fuck. Yeah, the rebel Zapatista anonymous autonomous municipalities.
1: Yeah, that's it. Mares. And they're, I mean, they're communes. This is uh, anarcho communism, basically.
0: For sure,
1: but yeah, no, no, that's 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 some new develop or not a completely new. It's old now, but it but didn't. It it's wasn't modern from this. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it does harken back to that tradition, but it's not directly yeah, carried it's over. Not linear. Uh, more about Zapata. You know, he's trying to do all these things. Uh, he's like we said, influenced by these uh, by these socialists and anarcho syndicalist guys. Mm-hmm. I believe the socialist would have been the founder of. It was actually called the Mexican Liberal Party, but it was socialist. Uh, cool <laughs> maybe he was trying to like sneak that in <laughs> soften it yeah ricardo okay. flores Magón. okay they're kind of leaning like anarcho-communist
0: mm, okay that sounds that's right up my alley so yeah
1: so you could you know you definitely can see that in what in what we're talking about here with what zapata was setting up uh he ends up getting betrayed uh and killed in
0: 1919 Oof. yeah it sounded like from the book that like basically this shit started working really well mm-hmm. like Hey, we got good crops and like it, we're doing good. And people started trying to get a piece of the pie, basically trying to take over.
1: Uh, after the revolution eventually s- kind of settles, you have kind of a series of presidents, and then eventually it's something called the Maximato. Okay. Where Plutarco Elias Caius was president. Mm-hmm. His nickname was El Jefe Maximo. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that doesn't sound great.
1: And so that's where Maximato comes from because after he left office, he uh, selected, like, his successors, basically. Oof. Okay, so there's, like, three. He chooses his successors the that he is, like, directing, basically, in the background.
0: Mm. Jeez.
1: Uh, Yeah. And Caius picks, after, like, three of these guys, you know, serve their terms or whatever, he ends up picking Lazaro Cardenas, mm-hmm. who he thinks, similarly, he's just going to direct. <gasps>
0: Uh-oh. But
1: Cardenas consolidates power real quick and exiles that dude. That's awesome. Kicks Caius out and governs for himself, and he's a real like populist leader. He's mm-hmm. he actually does major land reform, fuck yeah, which is his big deal is agrarian reform. Mm-hmm. I think the book talks about the successes there. Sixty-seven million hectares are expropriated and nice. given to the people. Nice, um, and he's he's like a Mexico's like radical version of like an FDR style yeah. presidency. I've heard of him. Yeah, somewhere uh, he's cool. <laughs> And yeah, very popular. Really, you know, nobody has anything bad to say about him, pretty much. I'm sure he did some bad <laughs> shit too.
0: I'm sure somewhere,
1: <laughs> but uh, yeah, but he kind of does those, uh, does those reforms that everybody was thinking were gonna happen <laughs> at the mm-hmm. beginning.
0: <laughs> <laughs> he finally got there,
1: yeah. But uh. ultimately, Mexico doesn't really take the next step, it doesn't really move towards socialism after those kind of social democratic reforms, and it just you know, ends up in neoliberal capitalism.
0: Yeah, that's definitely, yeah, yeah. That's kind of what we saw when we were coming up, you know.
1: Yeah, the pre-party there was founded as the, the National Revolutionary Party Which was in, you know, during the Mexican Revolution and everything. And this is what Cardenas, he consolidated it Mm -hmm. and made it the uh, party of the Mexican Revolution. And this, you know, eventually becomes the Institutional Revolutionary Party, the PRI. Mm -hmm. That's supposed to be like a left party. It's supposed to be social democratic, marginally socialist sort of. Yeah, yeah. And it's just (laughs) not, not, you know. It's
0: really not. It's a bad one. gave
1: in to just complete neoliberalism.
0: Yeah, yeah. Oh, all right. He kind of ends this section with kind of a summary of some more, some more bad stats, basically. Yeah. Uh, one thing I thought was interesting, he brings this up later too, but this is the first time he brings it up as the U.S. as a comparison, mm-hmm. because you know I don't know if you guys knew this, U.S. also were colonies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's so interesting that they developed so differently, and and he like he posits here that it's because their soil and climate was so similar to Britain that like they could kind of do their own thing. Cause it's like, you can make your own shit. Cause like, we don't need it basically.
1: Yeah. It was. And this fits into the earlier, the, how he earlier laid out his thesis that Latin America, it's suffering comes from its abundance. You know, that mm-hmm. it's worth so much that people come and take it. And it's that, yeah, the U S wasn't worth as much.
0: Yeah. Which is fine. Cause we get fed the narrative like, Oh, we, we had such a rich and bountiful land and we learned to tame it. And it's like, nah, dude, your soil sucks shit.
1: <laughs> yeah, it was, you know, it had its...
0: Eventually, once it got farther west and like ate up Mexico shit and stuff, yeah, it got better then, but like... It had
1: a lot of natural resources. I mean, you're talking, you know, but, but they're boring natural resources. Fish. The
0: mm-hmm. stuff that England timber. already had. Yeah.
1: <laughs> not exciting stuff. <laughs> like gold. Uh, yeah, wheat. Cool. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and a, it's it's not complimentary to Britain. It's this, like you said, the same shit that they had. Uh, and mm-hmm. also the... Uh, importance of a domestic market with people able to afford to buy things yeah where we have american capitalism developing uh on the basis of you know paid labor it's not extractive it's not trying to you know make as much shit so we can sell it to the mother country uh it's more domestically geared for its own development yeah, as opposed to in Latin America, where it's solely extractive, all, and and all of that extractive nature, you know, really holds Latin America back. What what whatever you know, technological advances, whatever advances or capitalism are made, it just ends up putting more people out of work. It just ends up making them suffer more.
0: Yeah, absolutely. All right, Chapter Three: <laughs> The Invisible Sources of Power. Uh, I've got my summary for the people here. Okay. So what you got here? Invisible sources of power. Like, what are these sources? Well, I'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, a country having been already sucked dry in the previous conquest mm-hmm. is now too poor to be able to afford to mine its own resources. Yeah. So the U.S. is like hungry for metal because they need metal for war.
1: Yes. <laughs> and, they,
0: and they need war for metal. It's this horrible cycle. Uh, so they come in to mine it. And it, it gives the country basically scraps and then controls the pricing on it and says, hey, I'm able to buy this raw material really fucking cheap, but you have to buy back my fucking steel ingots or whatever at like triple the price. Yes. Fuck you, basically.
1: Yep. That's a good summary.
0: <sighs> That's what happens over and over in this one. Yeah. The
1: main <laughs> thesis here is that American foreign policy is driven by the need to acquire and secure those supplies of natural resources, which is a crazy what is it it's crazy revelation it's like a really Mm -hmm. good peeling back the veil showing you like why is america doing all these things that's why
0: yeah because like i you know you see all those graphs or whatever like the pie charts like here's all of our military budget it's like most of the circle and you're like why what the fuck are we doing this is what we're doing
1: yes (laughs) and yeah like you said countries are too to mine their own resources because of that previous exploitation. It's build, building upon itself, perpetuating itself. And so the U.S. steps in and says, hey, let me help you with that.
0: Let's make a deal. Yep. And if you don't, I'll just take over your country. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I think it's, I think this is definitely a section that uh, this whole book people should read. But this is really informative in terms of seeing why the world works the way it does even today. Seeing why America feels the need to intervene in so many places.
0: Yeah, like you, if you've heard the phrase "military-industrial complex," this book explains it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't use those words, but that's what this and is. And
1: you're better able to understand when you, uh, when you read the news and you see American interests mm-hmm. in the region or destabilizing the region or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know what they're actually talking about?
0: They're talking about fucking stealing shit at a dime price and selling it back for way more it's horrifying yeah
1: it's crazy and the there's an example of it in in guyana where the cia they funded a strike mm-hmm. uh, to get a good deal for That's for insane. some company there uh the footnote has a lovely example about charity let me see your fate your favorite thing charity
0: mm, <laughs> love it love when rich people determine people's fates
1: it's cool The chairman of that company died in 1962, leaving $300 million to charity foundations with the express condition that the money may not be spent outside the United States. (laughs) Not even through this channel could Guyana recover at least some of its stolen wealth.
0: Jesus.
1: This guy was fucking him over from the grave.
0: Even in death. (laughs) Some people are still worth more than other people.
1: Yep. All
0: right. So I'm just going to list the countries where this happened hey spoiler it's most of them <laughs> yeah uh all right we got cuba uh obviously facing a lot of embargo situations mm-hmm. over there we've got copper in chile we've got tin mining in bolivia iron in brazil uh petroleum in mexico uruguay brazil argentina just a bolivia <laughs> basically everybody everybody got fucked yes this is the summary of this chapter yep what what were your some of your most the most choice fuckings that you wanted to talk about <laughs> uh
1: let's see the one i wanted to talk one thing i wanted to bring up is the u.s doing like spy planes like sending spy planes over uh over brazil to find oh, to scan yeah. for like deposits and then the leaders would just you know, would just sell it to them and cause you could just go in there and tell them like, Oh, there's nothing out here, dude. Like sell me the land cheap.
0: Yeah. They kept, they did like fake reports. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they they would like grade it like a C or whatever in terms of minerals mm-hmm. and be like, yeah, you don't have anything. Just give it to me. Yeah,
1: I'll take this off your hands cause it sucks. But then yeah. they'd actually just, you know, then roll in there and loot the place. <laughs> it's horrifying. And I was wondering, I was like thinking about this. Okay. So the leaders selling it to them for, for cheap or whatever. What's their problem? But it's because these leaders, like even their own country, their domestic interest—it's not really their interest. They get by just fine with getting paid this pittance. You know, it's a ton of money, mm-hmm. and you know they'll be okay. They, they talk about this crazy uh, Amazon—the scheme in the Amazon forest, uh, rainforest, where the U.S. was like going through sterilizing people. Yeah, yeah. And then looting like nuclear material from the place, like what uranium or something. It was crazy.
0: Literal supervillain shit.
1: Yeah. Like they're building a, like, Bond villain base in the Amazon or something.
0: <laughs> that should be the next movie is James Bond versus U.S. imperialism. It'd be a short one because he'd just be like, oh, we're friends.
1: <laughs> we just signed a treaty. Everything would be fine.
0: <laughs> I can't do anything. Oh, yeah. Uh, I liked this quote from the Washington Star in regards to Brazil Basically, corporation-staged coup because Brazil is trying to sell its iron to Europe and, you know, that's sure, why not, not? going to no, work don't out. Don't do that, yeah. can't have that. So the Washington Star said, here's a situation in which a good, effective, old-style coup by conservative military leaders may well serve the best interests of all the Americas.
1: Oh, well, yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> oh, it, well, one of them. Yeah. <laughs> sure, it helps one America. But.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's insane, that's
1: great. Just call for a coup again. That's another. <laughs> I appreciate their openness, man. <laughs> like, I mean,
0: yeah, nowadays we have to couch that.
1: that in all the language and say, you know, we're going to mm-hmm. bring some liberty, democracy. Yeah, this guy's an authoritarian, blah blah blah. You know,
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, our friend Huey Long shows up in this chapter.
1: Oh, is this in uh, in the Chile thing or what is it? Bolivia, in Bolivia. Okay,
0: yeah, so. He basically exposes Standard Oil of New Jersey for provoking a war in, Bol- in Bolivia mm-hmm. and financing the Bolivian army so it could take out the Par- Paraguayan Chaco on its behalf. And he says, these criminals have gone down there and hired their assassins. Called uh, He called Standard Oil criminal, evil, wicked, domestic assassin, foreign assassin, international conspirator a gang of rapacious highwaymen and thieves, a bunch of vandals and thieves.
1: (laughs) It's He's not wrong. Yeah, that's true, Huey.
0: Absolutely true.
1: Yeah, uh, he's not wrong about that. Uh, Yeah, man. They were funding the one side of the army. The interesting thing is that I think it was Royal Dutch Shell, uh, which was funding the other side. (laughs) Oh, my
0: God. It was a trade war. Yeah, these wars were just completely from corporations. It's insane. Yeah. Oh, don't worry. Bolivia still got fucked over. They they tried to nationalize their oil and um, Gulf Oil was like, nah.
1: No, thanks.
0: <laughs> yeah. So oh, this one, they made a particularly bad deal that I wrote down. So the state only got 11% of the profits and Gulf Oil would basically recoup 100% of their investment uh, if they explored a region and no oil was found and then the state would have to cover it. That's
1: just <laughs> insane.
0: That's like me coming to your house and be like, can I make dinner using all of your ingredients? Um, If it's good, then I'll give you a little bit of it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Otherwise, I'm going to eat all of it. (laughs) It's crazy. That's nuts.
1: There's a good quote. um, He's talking about the guano trade, the batshit trade. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. and i think it applies to a lot of natural resources cuz he says what nature had accumulated over a millennia on the islands was squandered in a few years
0: oh my god
1: you know i think we are seeing that with a lot of a lot yep. of natural resources you had a question yep. here on price fixing
0: yeah so the sometimes he gets into these tales of how this works and mm-hmm. it confuses me. I don't understand how companies can fix prices, I
1: guess is the question. So it depends. If you're talking domestically, there's usually like laws against it, against uh, colluding, mm-hmm. you know, and saying like, oh, we're all going to charge <laughs> this much for whatever. You know, yeah, it's like yeah. laws in the United States. You can't do that really. Whatever. Officially. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> don't believe essentially that. Essentially controlling the supply and eliminating competition. So think monopolies like mm. OPEC, for example. Yeah, You know, you, once you control the supply of something, then you can basically control uh, the price of it, especially if you're mm-hmm. talking about like uh, the mercantilist system or something where the businesses are real tied up with the state. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and like the government makes a lot of uh, like grants monopolies to people and that sort of thing. Mm, OK, if you but if basically if you're in charge of how something's made, you can dictate those markets. So you pursue a monopoly, you get control of that resource and then you can be like hey you gotta buy it from me so you're buying my price
0: okay and then they're extra doing monopoly because they are forcibly taking over these markets
1: well yeah and a big part for him too is that you have this vertical integration right so yeah you can fix the price because you're the only guy who's going to buy it you can fix the price of the raw materials real low Mm -hmm. buy it for real low and then turn around make something of it and sell that for super expensive
0: yeah yeah there's a ton of examples in here it's insane
1: yeah another thing that goes on is in in chile the chile and england battles
0: yeah i didn't understand <laughs> that <laughs> i skimmed that part so
1: really uh in that situation it wasn't really england fighting there it was uh in it was called the war of the pacific -hmm. It was Chile versus Bolivia and Peru.
0: Okay. Yeah. That's another thing. They keep like turning these countries against each other just for price fixing, it seems like.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, it's the elites of one country turning on the others. Yeah. Jeez. It was fought over some land with a lot of nitrate fields in it. And while Mm -hmm. the war was going on, these English speculators, John Thomas North and Robert Harvey, bought up a bunch of that land, the nitrate fields. Uh, Suddenly they were really cheap because they were unusable because they were in a war zone. So they bought the bonds that like backed them or whatever. And when Mm -hmm. the smoke cleared and the war was over, Chile honored the deal and gave them the land. Wow. So John Thomas North eventually uh, gets the nickname the Nitrate King, which is stupid. but
0: (laughs) Isn't that like the shit king? Isn't that what nitrate is? (laughs) I think
1: so. (laughs) Later on, uh, the... President of Chile, Jose Manuel Balmaceda, tried to do some like liberal reforms. Tried to mm-hmm. like nationalize, nationalize the nitrate, uh, and eventually, you know, runs into opposition. Congress steps mm. in. There's a civil war, and then English speculators come in and start financing the rebels. So that's why it seems like they're like it's an English, you know, war or whatever it is because because mm, they're paying for yeah, it. Yeah, they're funding <laughs> it. Uh, God. British ships also blockade the ports. And go on this campaign of slander in the media against this guy. Mm. Uh, so they're, they're more like unofficial opponents in the war.
0: Yeah. Ugh, God.
1: And of course, it all ends up for nothing because later Germany develops a way to synthesize it. So
0: <laughs> so they just killed millions of people for no reason. For no cool.
1: reason, yeah.
0: Cool. <laughs> cool job.
1: Ooh, I wanted to mention the St. John's Night Massacre, the San Juan Massacre yeah. in 1967. In Bolivia, yeah. uh, that was perpetrated by uh, the president of Bolivia there, Barrientos, who we've mm-hmm. mentioned before in our Che Guevara episode.
0: Oh, I don't remember him.
1: It was in Bolivia that Che Guevara went yeah, on his final yeah. mission to die. Uh, and one of the reasons he ordered this, the president ordered this killing, 20 people killed, 72 wounded by the army. To crush this miners' organization that they were starting, like to organize, right? He wanted to crush that because he thought that this was that this was inspired by Che Guevara's presence in the country. He he oh. was like making sure that no revolutionary uprising was happening.
0: Yeah. Shit. Yep. A uh, quote from a U.S. businessman in Caracas, 1953: "Here you have the freedom to do what you like with your money." For me, this freedom is worth more than all political and civil freedoms put together. Hell yeah. Cool, I guess. Cool for you.
1: This is, uh, you know, this is very much at the root of so many people's like completely selfish and by D&D definition, evil <laughs> political philosophy.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Freedom to spend.
1: Yeah. It's what's good for me personally is abo- is what's important above. Because every- he, like, he's like the civic. The, all that's like actually... To the side, right? Absolutely. Because uh, if you'll talk to somebody who who will say, you know, I'm socially liberal, but I'm fiscally conservative. <laughs> not everybody, but there's a good chance that when it really comes down to it, they would agree with this quote.
0: Absolutely. I think they would. If it's bad for the economy, then then shut it down.
1: Yeah. If they had to choose one, they really care about the economic thing, not really about people's freedoms or anything else.
0: No, I don't think they actually care
1: there are a few exceptions so that sometimes people in that section of the political uh, sphere can be, you
0: can say libertarians.
1: Yeah. You know, (laughs) there's exceptions that they can sometimes be good allies, but most of the time, not most of the time they're untrustworthy, at least because while they also don't like the bourgeois state, they are really in it for themselves.
0: Yeah. They, they don't understand how that system works together to support itself. Mm -hmm. Like you cannot separate those things. That's, that's a fallacy.
1: Yeah. So, yeah, I guess one of the big takeaways I have for this section is the impotence of governments against organized capital. hmm Right? We see over and over again, this, not, not all of them are really trying to give in, but they end up getting dominated somehow. There's always some sort of workaround or technique to nullify any attempts to reclaim their natural resources. They can tank prices. They can crush unions. They can start wars. They can depose the leader, whatever.
0: absolutely yeah and and even when it's you know this this organic thing like either an election or like a a, you know a peasant kind of uprising like it will be painted as this evil scheme like we got to go restore democracy i guess Mm -hmm. like what are you what are you talking about (laughs) like (laughs) it's it's just sinister
1: (laughs) yeah and yeah okay so where does that leave attempts at reform? I mean, what do you do?
0: I don't know cuz like it, you're you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. If you try to, you know, go 100%, go full socialism, like that happens a lot in this chapter and then guess what? You get thrown over.
1: Yeah. Yep.
0: And then if you do reform, like you're too crippled by your economy to actually do good reform. Yeah. You're you're just enslaved by debt.
1: Yeah. Cuz it seems like, <sighs> you know, they can push a little bit But if they push too far, right, Mm -hmm. capital just, you know, it shuts down, goes on strike one way or the other, or it just takes you out. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, I guess what I mean here maybe is that this is a a good example of how reform can't really do it. Mm -hmm. How, like, you really ultimately have to drive out the capitalists, right? How you have to smash imperialism and and build up your own people that way.
0: I think it's also an argument for global uh, communism because so many Mm -hmm. times, and we're going to see it later, too. You know you have these countries fighting each other instead of uniting and realizing their common enemy, yes, very true, yeah, cool, all
1: right, so we reached the end of part one there, yeah, we're going to divide this into two parts, yes, of our episode, part two will cover part two and three.
0: Oh, look at that,
1: So closing thoughts so far,
0: I man, it's a bummer. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bummer, it's infuriating. it is just. It's an upsetting read, but it's an important read. So, yeah.
1: Yes. You got to keep your rage pure, Mm -hmm. right? And this definitely helps hone that to a sharp edge.
0: For sure. And I just want to reiterate, we only gave a skimming of these examples. For every one example we gave, there were like five more.
1: Yeah. If you are on the Patreon, you'll see that in the notes is that (laughs) there's a ton we left out. Because there's just so much. And it's just example after example, you know, and it just drives the point home that this happened all over the place. And there's a reason. Yeah,
0: this is not a freak incident. This is a fucking structural pattern Uh, and it's designed to work this way. Yes.
1: Yeah. It's not, oops, we did some imperialism.
0: (laughs) Oh, man, that was my bad. Mm
1: -hmm. Uh, All right. Uh, We'll have more substantive conclusions, I think, once we finish part two. Mm -hmm. Uh, But for the time being, that's where we'll leave the conversation
0: all right yeah next time obviously we'll be covering part two so (laughs) yes (laughs) part two and three and final thoughts reviews all that kind of stuff
1: part two is titled development is a voyage with more shipwrecks than navigators Mm -hmm. part three is seven years after which is kind of like a like an afterword to the book Mm -hmm. yeah and then we'll sum up and talk about what we liked and didn't like talk about our feelings yeah have a therapy (laughs) session
0: i need it (laughs) oh it's a big one okay all right. In the meantime, you can find us online. We are on Twitter at Teach Communism, Instagram at Teach Me Communism. You can send us an email, teachmecommunism at gmail.com. If you want to send us your thoughts on this lovely book, feel free to do that. Um, you can also send episode suggestions for future episodes. Um, you can ask us questions for a future listener Q&A. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been thinking about folding those back into like segments at the end.
1: We can. Yeah. Some of them are. Yeah. Yeah. That would be good for that.
0: Shorties. You can and you should leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Even if you're not an Apple user, it is the best way for people to find the show um, uh, from what I know about podcasts, at least. So that's what I hear on
1: podcasts I listen to. So (laughs) that's what they say.
0: That's what they say. Um, so yeah, rate and review us. Uh, even if you're not an Apple user, you should still be able to do that. So that would be very nice. Uh, tell a friend about the show. That also works. Yeah,
1: radicalize your friends.
0: Just do it. <laughs> be, be annoying.
1: <laughs> no, don't be annoying. Be friendly. Don't be. Annoying. I don't know. I'm just you kidding. can. There's different approaches. I prefer the like kind of soft, gentle. You know, buddy with them on some sort of issue, and then kind of like push some other things in there gradually.
0: I joke around about it a lot until I figure out that they're cool. And then I'm like, Hey, let's take it to the next level.
1: <laughs> that's a good strategy too. Also,
0: like capitalism. Am I right? And then, yeah,
1: that's yeah. <laughs> your, your way may be more effective considering the limited time scale. We honestly have, <laughs>
0: <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, we're also on YouTube. If you want to find us on there, if that is your preferred listening method, or if you know someone that's their preferred listener method, send them to our YouTube. Yeah. we f- Also have a Patreon. uh, That is patreon.com slash Communism. There for $5 a month, you get access to our notes. Uh, We'll be releasing our notes on part one for this week. Yeah, Um, You can see all the bullets we didn't talk about and how much we skip around. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And yeah, uh, both of us have notes this time, so it'll be very robust. And... At the end of the year, we were able to give $116 to Feed the People Dallas, which is a local mutual aid fund.
1: Yeah, solidarity, not charity.
0: Hell yeah. Uh, We're excited to be able to give even more next year. So if you sign up for that, it's not lining our pockets. It is feeding people in Dallas. Hell yeah. Fuck yeah.
1: Cool. Uh, We'll be back next time, listeners. So tune in next week for another episode of Teach Me Communism, where the class struggle is always in session.
0: Forever angry.
1: Vile.